The new year is often a time of reflection, a chance to look back on the past 365 days and remember. Sometimes the memories bring a smile, and other times they break our hearts. Chances are you've experienced a bit of both this past year. The new year is also a time to look ahead, to imagine what could be, to scan the horizon with expectation and seek God's guiding hand. It's a time to strive for better, to live louder, love stronger, and be more of who God has created us to be. It's an opportunity for new beginnings, a chance to start fresh, to pursue God with a renewed passion, and to press on with all our hearts. The truth is, God has been faithful this past year, and that faithfulness promises to carry us through the next. As the new year begins, may we remember this one simple truth. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Well, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, so if you want to uh, open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 2 or just follow along in your program or on the screen, that's fine. You can also pull out uh, the note sheet, that'll help you follow along today and uh, fill in, do the fill-ins along with us. We're in Ecclesiastes 2, but before we dive in, I want to take a moment and just uh, bow our heads and pray. Lord, may the meditation of our hearts, may the words of my mouth, our mouths, be pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and redeemer. We pray that you send your spirit into this room through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week there was a news story. Maybe some of you caught it. If you like to read business pages, you might have noticed there was a name that you probably haven't seen for a while, and the name was BlackBerry. Anybody remember BlackBerry? Well, the news this week was that they're shutting off background support for the old BlackBerry phones. You can't really, if you have an old BlackBerry phone in your drawer that you were saving for a rainy day in case you're your iPhone or your Google phone went out. Sorry, guys, it's probably not going to work anymore. I, I got to thinking, at one time, remember when Blackberries were referred to as Crackberries because people were addicted to them? And how big a Blackberry was, like it was sort of a little bit of a status symbol if you had a, a Blackberry. And we all loved the Blackberry keyboard. I don't know that they've made a a keyboard that's as good to this day. Blackberry. But maybe some of you remember another company. Starts with the B2. Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster? Remember all those, those hours spent browsing the shelves for just the perfect movie on a Friday or Saturday night? The excitement of thinking we're going to get a really good movie. Now, the young people are already saying, what's a Blackberry? What's 
Blockbuster? Is that like, what is that like? Netflix? What? But the list goes on and on if you think about it. So I, I created, once I thought about those two, then I thought about Circuit City. I used to buy all my electronics at Circuit City. Best Buy was hardly a thing in those days, right? Circuit City, gone. Remember as a kid when you were tooling around with a science experiment, you knew exactly where to go for that electronics experiment, didn't you? Anybody want to help me? Radio Shack, gone. One of the things that, that excited me early on, I think I still have mine in my drawer somewhere, is the Palm Pilot, where I used to keep all my to-dos. Oh, that was awesome. And the time I, I love books, I love to read, remember Borders, that beautiful, and almost all of them had a coffee shop in them. It was just a great place. I'm taking us down memory lane. And how many of us at one time, now this is really for the older crowd, maybe flew on TWA or Pan Am? Here's what I want to ask you. If you worked for one of those companies, and maybe, you know, back in the day, people devoted their lives, their entire careers to one company. Can you imagine maybe being retired today and looking back on a career devoted to Circuit City or to TWA? What would you be feeling? Would you feel like, man... I gave up time with my family. I invested so much of my heart, my life into my career, into this business. And now there's only one blockbuster left. And it's somewhere in Oregon. No one even knows what little town it's in. So I want to talk about this today because Solomon, King Solomon, who maybe was the most successful man who, who ever lived. I'll, I'll come back and talk more about him uh, later to kind of illustrate that point a little bit. But here's what I want to bring to you. Solomon, as we read this morning, is going to tell us, I, I, I did all this stuff, all these projects. I sought out all this fun and pleasure. And now here I am, and we think this is probably a little bit later in his life. And it was... As I look back on it, all meaningless, all worthless. It was, as he likes to use as a, a turning of phrase, it was chasing the wind. So as we read today, I think the question that I would like to place on your heart and your mind is, how do you not end up there? The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, very popular book on leadership, has a question in it. And the question is this, when I reach the end of my life and my memorial service is being held, what do I hope people are saying about me? It's a good question. It's a great question. And he urges us, wherever we are in life, to cast forward and think, at the end of your life, what is it that you hope that people will say about you? What is it that you hope that you've lived out in your life? 
especially among those who know you best and love you most. So let's read this and see what, see what Solomon's thoughts are as he approaches the end of his life. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 of the book of Ecclesiastes, which, by the way, is in a body of wider literature in the Bible, we, especially Old Testament, call wisdom literature. So this is meant to give us a better way. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, foolishness, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I think if he was a uh, a government leader today, we would say, this guy did great. And he was a government leader. He was king in his own day. I made reservoirs to water groves, to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toll. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and, when I had to and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun." I hope you, as you read through this, see what Solomon is saying were his feelings while he was in the midst of his pleasures and his projects. Notice in verse 10, he says, my heart took delight in all my labor, like it was fun, it was great, I felt like I was accomplishing things, helping people, doing good things with my life. It actually was, the work was its own reward, he says. This was the reward for all my toil. And then he did something. We talked a little bit about this last week. He, he did something that very few of us take time to do, but maybe more as you reach the end of your life, you, you might do this. But if you're young and in this room, I want to encourage you to develop a habit of doing this right now. You see, what verse 11 is really about, what Solomon is saying is, I stepped back. I, I took some time and I stepped back. I got up higher. I got onto the balcony of my life and I looked down at all these things that I was doing and then it hit me. 
as good as all this stuff made me feel, as accomplished as, as, as I got to be, recognized by all kinds of people, and he, he was. Oh my goodness, Solomon? <laughs> this guy, just wealth alone, and just the wealth of his gold, the income of just the gold, we're not talking about herds and flocks and armies and all these other ways that you could measure success, is deemed that if it was put in today's money, his income, not, not his wealth, not his bottom line, but his income each year in gold alone would have been more than $1.1 billion. Can you imagine that kind of income? on an annual basis. He was so renowned as king, as a political leader, that people came from all around the world to have him be their guide. And yet, it's interesting because he says in all this, I was guided, my wisdom stayed with me, but did it? How would we evaluate today I amass silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. Or back up to verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. Now, were these things common in Solomon's day? But then let's ask the follow-up question. For a man of God, should they have been common? And we know the answer to that. And when we look at this, we, we see, and there, there's a, a, a great author I love, and uh, he, he wrote a book, his name is Donald Miller, he, he wrote a book a number of years ago that you might have heard of, some of you may have even read, the title of the book is Blue Like Jazz. More recently, he's written a book, and he, he has this um, observation, and he says, you know, as we live our lives, all of us play different characters from time to time, and, and you see these characters in, in Solomon's life. Uh, sometimes we can see that we play a hero. We have a good idea. Uh, things are going well, and we get to step up and be the hero of the story. Sometimes people come to us like people came to Solomon, and Solomon played this role too. He guided people. Sometimes you play the guide. Do any of you at your workplace have people who walk in, knock on the door, and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think we should do? You might not be the leader in that business, but you're well-respected because you're often asked for guidance. You're playing the role of a guide. And then there is the role in every story, right? In every story, you have a villain. The guy who maybe amasses wealth for himself in an era when there was tons of poverty to go around. A man who has a harem and slaves. Now, those are not things that you would do as a villain today, but... Are there times when you get hurt, when you get angry, when thoughts of vengeance 
And thoughts of how do I get back at this person start to play through even your Christian heart and mind. How do I pay that person back for the thing they did to me? How do I square things up? And that's what leads us, even as Christ followers, sometimes to play the villain role because we can't let go of past hurts and anger. And then there's the last one, and I would, I would say we're living in a culture that actually encourages this last character in every story, but also a character that plays out in our own hearts, and that is the victim. Think about different stories. Let's, let's think about Karate Kid. Most of you seen Karate Kid, like the original movie? Okay. Who's the hero? Help me out. Daniel-san, right? He's, he's the hero, but he doesn't start out as the hero. How does Daniel start out as the victim? He's a poor, weak little kid getting beat up, can't, even when he joins the karate dojo, can't win a match, right? There's also a villain, in fact, I kind of think there's two villains in the Karate Kid. There's Johnny, his immediate opponent, right? The young blonde kid. But then behind Johnny is the head of the dojo, John, who is teaching him all these things that are kind of cheating and nasty and not very good. Those guys are the villains, right? All right, now this one you have to help me with. I'm not going to tell you. Who's the guide in the Karate Kid? Come on. Mr. Miyagi, right? That's not just the Karate Kid. That's every story has these four characters, as the author Donald Miller points out. But in this book, he goes on to argue, you play those four characters in your life, and you intermittently go between the four of them. We see them in just this short passage of Ecclesiastes in Solomon's life. And the question then becomes, which, which character do you want to play? Because let's face it, two of them are self-destructive. If you're constantly moving through life feeling as if you've been victimized, or if you are so angry and hurt by the world that you are just lashing out in anger, making yourself of an enemy of as many people as you can, where's that going to lead? Victim and villain don't lead to good places. They didn't help Solomon very much. But what about hero and guide? Hero and guide is awesome. And as you look back, let's, let's use the question, what do we hope people will say about us at the end of our lives? I'm guessing that you hope that at the end of your life, you're going to have lots of people who come up and say, this man, this woman gave me so much wisdom and guidance for life. My mom, I wouldn't even know how to live life without my mom's advice. That's what you want to hear. My dad... He was a great dad because he gave me the guidance I needed to be successful in life. And I think you also hope 
that a few people say something to the effect of, this man was a hero. This woman, oh my goodness, the things that she did, she was a true hero. And so as we go through this today, here's what I'm going to say. Living life with better purposes means asking the question, you can do this fill-in, if your life was made into a movie, a story made into a movie, would you watch it, first of all? You're like, no, there's nothing good in that story. And if you would say no, you wouldn't watch the movie of your own life, step back and think about that for a moment. Because do you know that God is at work in your life making it a great story? He really is. Jesus life in your place, his death on the cross, his resurrection are all meant for you to live as a victor, not a victim. And there's a story there. Trust me. Jesus has made your life a good story. Let's go on. Who would you be in that movie? Would you play a victim? A villain? A hero? Or a guide? Look at what Solomon says again. This is where we don't want to end up, where we end up saying, and I bolded it, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So pull your pen back out. Let's do a few more fill-ins to end this first section. As Christ followers, we're responding to Christ's first love. We're following that love. We're building our lives on this foundation of love like we sang earlier. We will at different points play each of these parts. That's just because we're both sinners and saints. You will at times get so angry and frustrated and hurt that you will lash out like a villain. You will at times feel so put upon by others and so out of control of your life that you will, that you will go, <laughs> forget it. There's, I'm nothing but a victim. You're going to do it you don't have to stay there. I don't have to stay there. And here's what I want to finish. One thing we don't want at the end of our lives is to discover, as Solomon discovered, we've lived a life without true meaning or purpose. So let's go back now. We've kind of gone to the, the end extremity, verse 11 of this, of this passage. What I want to do now is I want to show you why Solomon likely felt at the end of his life that it was nothing more than a chasing after the wind. So that I don't go there, you don't go there. What, what was it that as Paul got up on the balcony, stepped back and reflected on his life, that he said, I think this is why I'm here now, feeling like my life was worthless that it was a big fat zero. And here's what you can write into the next fill-in. There's a secret to living a life filled with meaning, and that is this. Exchange worldly pursuits for heavenly purposes. This is what, if you ask Solomon, here's what I believe he would answer. Why do you feel this way, Solomon? Why do you feel that your life was a, a, a big fat zero at the end of the day? And I think his answer would have been something to this effect, because 
I filled my life with worldly pursuits instead of understanding foundationally what God's purposes for my life were and living those out. And I made this point earlier on in the reading. You see, Solomon thought that living life as a hero was to do these big projects or have these great pleasures in life, be able to have a lot of fun. But, but what he discovered was all those are just pursuits that I can only pursue for a little while while I'm here foundationally, there's no purposes that I'm going to carry with me into eternity. You see, if you're doing great projects like Solomon was, those things are one day going to crumble. Remember the disciples running their fingers along the big, beautiful temple in Jerusalem and saying, wow, this is amazing what King Herod has built here. Don't you think, Jesus? Remember what Jesus' answer to them was? See those stones? Every one of them is going to come tumbling down. And it wasn't 40 years later when that happened, when Rome came in and took them down. And so these things, and and I'm not saying that it's worthless. Luther once said, and I love this quote, you can milk cows to the glory of God. So if you can do something that... If you need to do it, you're going to do it at least once, if not twice every day, and it's just repeat, you know, repeat, repeat, repeat. But that can be something that worships and glorifies God. Then what you're doing right now does have meaning as long as in those things that you are doing, there's a foundation of these better purposes, these eternal purposes. Look at what, what Solomon says. I want, to, I want to point out that He said, I I spent too much time with worldly pursuits. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. This guy had jet skis. He had the latest, all the latest hunting gear. Uh, He had horses to ride whenever he wanted. He had all kinds of pleasures to pursue. I mean, you heard him talk about his harem, right? So I won't dwell on that, but he pursued every kind of pleasure you could imagine. He was all about work hard, play hard. He played hard. He also worked hard. Look, look to, to what he says next. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects, and he did. He lists them out, and there are many more. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, this guy did amazing things, and I do believe his motive was pretty good. It was good for people. It was good for him. But the problem was that's where it ended. And that's the question I want to ask you to apply to your own self, to ask of your own self. What is the horizon for whatever you're doing right now? The day when you will look back, and even if you're building the greatest company in the world, the greatest family in the world, that you're going to look back and go, ooh, that looks a lot like Circuit City right now. 
And even if the business hasn't gone out of business, you begin to think, as I think Solomon thought, is put so much time, so much energy, so much money, so much of my, I poured myself into this. And now I look back, and if I could have done it differently, I would have. Some of you even now are looking at broken marriages, tough relationships with your parents, or vice versa, parents looking back on tough relationship with their kids. Can you imagine the grandparent sitting here today saying to himself, I, I poured myself into my kids, and they all hate me now. Oh, how much I love them, but not a one of them can see anything good in me. Not a one of them is doing what I think I, I had hoped as a parent they would be doing at this stage of their life. I, it's not just business. I want to make that clear. It's, it's, it's all the pursuits of our life that one day we may look back on if the horizon is too short. And that's why Solomon says the horizon on worldly pursuits is going to be short because it's a worldly thing. It's like that temple. Herod built a great temple, but frankly, 70 years later, it was dust. The longer horizon, Solomon said, is not better pursuits, but better purposes. It, it, it's not about, well, if I had devoted my life to Best Buy instead of Circuit City, I'd feel good about myself right now. Nope. It's about, was there a foundation of eternal purposes? Now, I want you to turn the page of your notes because I want you to know exactly what God's eternal purposes for you are. And even if you're a milkmaid, you can live these purposes and glorify God. On the back are your, are your notes for a growth group discussion, and I want you to go down to number three, and if you've got a pen, they're already bolded, but maybe just to help you remember these, you could circle them or underline them. What are the five purposes that God has given for us to live out in our lives? And there they are for you. Fellowship, our purpose is to support our fellow believers, to love them, have their backs, a second purpose is to grow in the Word, to be discipled by Jesus, to, to constantly find time to be in the Word so that our faith in Jesus can grow and be stronger and more deeply rooted. To serve. And can I, I, I just want to compliment you guys, and then I'm going to say do so more and more at the end, so be ready for that, but this congregation serves. Oh my goodness. I as someone who did come from Arizona, and I shouldn't have said as an Arizonan, as a former Arizonan, now a current Illinois person, in this congregation, observing you, your heart for service is truly amazing to me. I've been a pastor for 40 years. I think you guys might have the best hearts for service I've ever seen. And now here it comes. So do so more and more. Don't get tired. We had an individual come in this morning and say, Pastor, that sidewalk is too slippery out there. Someone's going to fall. Where's the snow shovel? And there they were out there making sure it was scraped and salted. Thank you. 
right? That's the heart of this church, service. And then to worship, that is to glorify God, to make God big in our hearts, minds, and lives. And finally, what we've said is the primary thing about this church, to share the gospel with those who don't yet know it. Those, you can carry those five. I don't know what all of you do. I'll just pick on the Strigos because I know what they do. Thank you, Strigos, for being my example this morning. I didn't ask them beforehand, so they, they might come up afterwards and say, how'd you use us? But I know what they do. And, and I can tell you that when you go to get your car truck serviced, because I personally experienced it, whether you eat or drink or fix cars, do it to the glory of God, that's happening at their business. I haven't checked, but I don't think any of them have a theological education, have not aspired to being a pastor. But when you go there, you experience fellowship. You, you experience discipleship. Man, I, I want to look at how they're just being, right? I hope I can be a disciple of Jesus like that. You, you experience service in spades. You experience um, glorifying God, worshiping, and you experience outreach. That's what we mean. That's what Luther meant said when he said, a milkmaid can milk cows to the glory of God. So can an auto repair shop. So can you wherever you are. And it's just as simple as taking these five purposes memorizing them, fixing them in your heart and saying, can I do these five things every day, whatever I'm doing? And in that way, bring glory to God. That's what we want to do. All right, you can turn your page back over. And here's why we want to do that. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. This is Paul, another work hard, play hard kind of guy. But here's what he, he wrote. And he, that is Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What causes us to want to live out these five purposes in our lives, wherever we are? What causes us to want to glorify God in everything? It is that Jesus died for me. He gave up his entire life for me. Why would I not, to say thank you to him, why would I not want to give my life back to him? So here's, here's to uh, fill in your last fill-ins. There's a secret to living a life filled with meaning. Here it is. It is living a life as a hero. And the secret to a hero's life of better purposes is living for our hero, capital H hero. We're the small H heroes. Live for your capital H hero, Jesus Christ, and not for worldly pursuits, that is, simply for pleasure or projects. Here's what I want to encourage you. Surround yourself with other heroes and guides, and they will draw you along to being a hero and a guide. The most practical thing I can tell you today, you want to be a hero or a guide in your life? you will become the five closest people that you hang out with. 
So hang out with other heroes and guides, and they will help you and draw you in. One of the reasons I love men's group on Saturday morning. Getting up at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. And I do so joyfully. Because there are heroes and guides in that group. One of the reasons I love our group on Tuesday night. You should hear the experiences of these people in my group and how they've lived to the glory of God. We're a bunch of old farts, let's face it, in my group. But, but stories of lives lived to the glory of God? Oh my goodness. All right, so see this? These are growth group questions, and they're meant to be asked and studied. If you can't make it to a growth group, make your family your growth group. But take this home with you, and if you can make it to a growth group, let me encourage you to do so. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your love, so grateful to be able to build our lives on the foundation of your love, so grateful that you lived not for yourself, but for us, so that we could live not for ourselves, but for you. Lord, we pray that you will help us to bring glory to you and live out these five purposes wherever we are in our life, and not one day look back at our lives and say, wow, that was all worldly pursuits, and it was flat-out meaningless. Help us not to get there, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.